Good morning. Greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here to worship, to look into God's Word. Struggled a little this week what direction to go with the message and had a subject that was kind of weighing on my mind and I felt like that uh, maybe I'd go ahead and bring this message since it was heavy on my mind this week. It's a subject that I feel like that we're in need of hearing today. I do want to make it clear that I don't really in particular, I don't know how to say this, but if you feel like I'm preaching at you this morning, I don't necessarily have anybody in mind or anything like that. It's something I need to hear. It's something that I believe that the church needs to hear because of the environment that we find ourselves in today. I want to talk about leadership. This was spurred in part because of the announcement that was made last Sunday that we are considering the ordination of two new leaders in our district. And along with that, the fact that the need for one of those leaders is within this congregation. And this is broader than talking about just leadership within the church, as in that we need a minister in the church. There's a short poem that I would like to start with. Probably a lot of you have heard this. It illustrates the principle that I'd like to address this morning. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. This short poem gives us a picture of a very small item that was missing. A small horseshoe nail, and how that one small missing item caused a chain of events, a chain reaction that resulted in the demise of a kingdom. Now that poem, to my knowledge, is not necessarily true. From what I found, it's not ascribed to any certain person. Uh, didn't research this, but apparently Ben Franklin, Franklin quoted it at one point in some, something that he wrote. But it holds forth a true principle that small things can have large results over time. Now another illustration, I recently listened to a message by Wilmer Funk from the Chambersburg, Pennsylvania area where he talked about watershed issues. His his subject in that message was actually the headship veiling. 
and he was he was talking about it in terms of where churches have went who made different decisions. And he referred to it as being a watershed issue. And he looked back where there were churches that were once close together in belief and practice. And due to making different decisions on a certain issue, specifically, uh, he had in mind the headship veiling. He also mentioned different decisions on, on television back in the era of the 50s and 60s. And he said they ended up, because of making a different decision, many miles apart, figuratively. And he compared their common source and their eventual distance between their, their ends with a snow-capped mountain peak in Switzerland, where the snow melt on that peak, on one side, he traced the route, and I won't do that, flows down the streams and rivers and ends up in the North Sea. And the snow melt on the other side follows the streams and rivers and ends up in the Mediterranean Sea, literally a thousand miles apart. And his point is, is that the difference in outcome was determined by a small and almost at, at, at the peak, an almost imperceptible difference at that source, at that source of that snow-capped peak. Could you go to that snow-capped peak and point out exactly this water is going this way and this is going that way? It might be almost an imperceptible difference right there, but yet it makes a difference that ends up a thousand miles apart. That illustration of the watershed as well as that, the poem about the horseshoe nail both illustrate the tremendous impact that small, seemingly insignificant differences, small things that are neglected today, can have down the road. And this can be applied to many different situations. But I want to think about it this morning a little in terms of leadership. The parallel that I'd like to draw this morning is that the lack of good godly leadership is like that lack of a horseshoe nail or like that almost imperceptible deviation that defines the two sides of the watershed. At the time, at the point there, it may seem inconsequential, but in the end, it can have a disastrous effect, and it have, can have an enormous impact on many lives. God has ordained leadership for mankind. As I thought about it, I thought it was interesting that I don't believe that God gave us one particular passage 
that outlines his plan for leadership for mankind. Yes, we do have passages that speak to it. But God's plan is woven into Scripture from beginning to end. And as we look at it, His plan is clear. I'd like to look at several passages this morning that tell us what God's design is for leadership. You can turn with some of these passages with me if you'd like. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, I'd like to read verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. So here we have God looking at his crowning creation, Adam. And he realized that Adam needed someone. He needed a helper, a help meet or a helper suitable for him. And he created Eve to be that suitable helper. And here I don't see that God distinctly lays out anything about authority, structure, or leadership. But yet, I believe that he does in a way. Because God created Adam first. And he created Eve to be the helper. Also, Paul says, regarding this in 1 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. And I believe that we can see in this that God was ordaining a certain authority or leadership structure through his creation order. Now, this wasn't to put woman lower to man or to say that she's less valuable or less important but rather God was setting in place a structure of different roles in human society different but yet complementary roles God's design and plan was for the church the home and society to function smoothly for our good and for his honor and for his glory. And that's what's going to happen when we follow after his way and his plan, his design. In the creation account, we read that God looked at what he had created and he said that it was good. In fact, it's almost, it's not every day, but it's almost every day that he created and he says that he looked and behold, it was good. Or, that it was, it looked at his creation, it was good. And then on the sixth day, it says that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God created a good creation. I think we could, if I asked for a show of hands, I think we'd all say, God created a good creation. Everything he created was good. But you know, when we talk about God's creation, we think mainly about the physical. We think that we can look out and we can see the earth, we can see the trees, we can see people, we can see animals. 
But there's another aspect to God's creation. And that is the laws or the principles that he set in place to govern what he created. And I believe that those guiding principles that he put in place for his creation are just as good as the physical part of the creation that we can see. I believe that we must recognize that everything God created and set in place has been done for a purpose. It's a good thing. It's for our good, and it's for his honor and glory. So I'm going to bring that out, that as we look at this order of leadership and authority that in God's creation order is that we must recognize that it is for our good and for his honor and glory. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I already read one verse from there. There's another one that really stands out. First Corinthians 11.3 But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. A clear statement here of God's design for authority and leadership. In fact, I believe this is the clearest, most concise statement in, regarding this in Scripture. And we see here that man is the head of the woman, Christ is the head over man, and God is head over Christ. A clear structure of leadership and responsibility. Again, this is not setting man over woman in an oppressive way, but rather in a structure of authority and leadership and responsibility. I want us to consider that a little bit because we live in a society that has really come down hard on this thing of women being in submission to man. And I think it has had a certain impact on our thinking. And to help us to understand that structure and the fact that, that while woman is, is called to be under man in this order of authority and, and leadership, it is not because woman is worth less or is oppressed. And to, and to help us to understand that, I want us to look at the relationship here between God and Christ. Because listed in this verse, we see that not only is man head over woman, but God is head over Christ. And Scripture tells us that God has exalted Jesus Christ to a very high position. I just want to read a couple of, of, of Scriptures. Ephesians 1, 20 through 22. 
which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And then Philippians 2, 9 through 11, there, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We read those verses and it is clear that Jesus Christ has been exalted by the Father to an extremely high position. He sat at the Father's right hand. He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion, not only in this world, but in the world to come. He's given him a name that's above every name, that his name every knee should bow. You know, that, is, that is an exalted position. Yet we see in 1 Corinthians 11.3 that God is head over Christ. See, God's structure of authority isn't about putting someone down or a class of people down. Jesus isn't the top yet he is highly exalted. And I think we need to recognize that in the man-woman relationship that God has ordained that man is the head over woman, but it is not head in, in, in a way of subjection. Woman still holds an exalted position if we have a correct view of God's order of authority and leadership. We need to recognize that God's ordained order of headship, leadership is not in place to oppress, but it's in place to lift up. It's in place to promote God's blessing upon us and to fulfill, to fulfill his will for us. There's also other examples in Scripture of God's ordained leadership order. I'm not going to turn to them this morning, but Ephesians 6 speaks of children being obedient to parents and servants to their masters. Then we read in Romans 13, in Titus 3, in 1 Peter 2, that we're to be in subjection to earthly authorities. Uh, we could call them government authorities. Even when they may not be operating under God's principles, they are still set in place, we're told in Romans 13, by God's authority. We also have passages that speak of leadership within the church. Uh, Hebrews 13 was one that stood out to me. There's at least three verses there that speak 
specifically of those who have the rule over you in the church. It's, it's speaking of, again, not oppression, but it's speaking of leadership and responsibility. I believe that we can see that God has put in place in all areas of society a structure of authority and leadership for our good. And as I thought about that, I thought about maybe it's a little bit, we could say it's a little bit like an onion or something like that where there's multiple layers. So you were, we saw there in, in 1 Corinthians 11 where it's God, Christ, man, and woman. But yet in between there, there's many other layers. As I said, children responsible to parents. We're responsible to church leaders, uh, to government authorities, etc. But I'll bring this all up to because I want to establish in our minds that God has set in place a structure of leadership. And if it's followed, it's going to produce a blessing for us. And if we follow his way, it's going to help us to find ourselves on the correct side of that watershed, figuratively speaking. My desire this morning is that we would become more appreciative of that leadership structure that God has set in place. And that we, especially as men, because we are the ones that are called to a place of, of authority and leadership, in society, and in the church, that we would become more committed to submit to God's structure that he has set in place, and that we'd each be committed and determined to do our part to carry it out. I'd like to think a little bit about godly leadership and what it looks like. First of all, godly leadership isn't about me, and it's not about doing things my way. And I believe that that is really the big difference between leadership concept that many people in the world had, have and what God has ordained and set in place. I want you to notice again there in 1 Corinthians 11.3, and those levels or, levels or whatever you want to call it, those positions of, of leadership and authority that God has ordained, that every one of these positions has somebody else over it until you get to God himself. So leadership is really about doing what I am called to do by the authority that is over me. I can't usurp the authority of Christ. I have to submit to the authority of Christ and operate underneath of that. Jesus exemplified that in his life on earth. He said in John 5.30, I can't of myself, of my own self, do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. 
because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So Jesus was not here on earth to do his own will. He was in submission to his head, God the Father. He said in John 5.30, excuse me, John 6.38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So there in 1 Corinthians 11.3, Christ is second from top. But yet he was fully submitted to God the Father, his head. And that's where we need to be as individuals. No matter where we find ourselves in that list, no matter what layer of the onion we fit into, we need to be in submission to the authority and leadership that is over us. We need to ask ourselves, who am I responsible to? Who am I responsible to submit to, to follow after? All authority on earth, we're told in Romans 13.1, comes from God. And so if we're in a place of leadership and authority, we have that from God, but yet there's others over us that we're responsible to as well. So godly leadership then is acquired not by being in charge, but is found actually through submission. Submission ultimately to God. But in submitting to God, we need to be in submission to the other God-ordained authorities that are over us. And when we step outside of that order, we're going to short-circuit the blessing that God intends for his people. And I think that our Sunday school lesson today, with, with David as the anointed next king of Israel, Resisting the temptation to take things into his own hand and take Saul's life, I think we have a, a clear example of respect for authority that God had set in place. David could have taken it into his hands, but he said, it's not my place. I am under Saul, and thus I will leave it in God's hands. And I think that David experienced a blessing for that. I think if he had taken it into his own hands, I don't doubt he would have probably still been the next king of Israel, but I don't think that it would have worked out as well as it did. So when we step out of God's order, we're going to short-circuit the blessings that God intends for us. 
We can't receive God's blessing and end results that he has planned if we don't submit to his design. Another word that describes leadership is servanthood. Jesus told us that his disciples, or he told us that when, or he told his disciples that when they were quarreling over position. In Matthew 20, 25 through 28, and I want to read this from the New King James Version. It says, Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those that are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus' example there is, is that leadership means service. Leadership is giving up myself and my desires for the good of others. Husbands and fathers, it's giving up of yourself for the good of your family, your wife, your children. It's giving up of yourself for the good of the church. So the essence of leadership is submission to the authority and leadership over me as well as sacrificial servanthood towards those that you're leading. And I believe that's probably why good, strong leadership is often lacking in our society. Because submission and sacrifice aren't popular themes with a lot of people. But in God's order, that is what brings us to the ability to serve as a leader. Also, I'm not sure if there's Bible verses to support this observation. But in observing people, I believe that, that good, solid leadership is something that people long for. They crave after it. I believe that almost everyone, probably we could say everyone, looks to someone else as a leader in some way. We like to think of ourselves that we're independent. We think for ourselves. We determine our own destinies. But most of us are following someone else or something else closer than we want to admit. An example of that is look at the fads and fashions of the world. Why do people wear and appear the way they do? Is it because they're free thinkers and they've decided this for themselves? Do y'all think so? I see a few people that 
shaking their heads the right direction. No. They do it because someone else said or exemplified that if you want to be in the in crowd, put this uncomfortable piece of clothing on or this impractical item. And people do it. Why? Because people look to other people for leadership. The person or group that you get your clues, your cues from in life, in reality, is your leader. So many people think that the way that in the way they appear, they're showing their individuality. When in reality, they're showing how closely tied they are to the thinking of someone else. How closely they're bound to someone else's ideas. How closely they're following on the heels of someone else. In fact, I wonder sometimes how much we humans think for ourselves in some areas. Rather than simply just blindly following the, the cues of of others. And I bring that up because I want us to think about who it is that we are following. Is who I'm following or what I'm following after the proper authority for me to be following? When you think of, of God's ordained structure of authority and leadership is the place that I'm going to get the cues for my life is it the place that is 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 it the place I'm supposed to be going to get for for leadership for direction in my life or am I looking somewhere else If a child wants to do something that and they, your parents have, have heard this before, well, you know, all my friends are doing it. But, but the parents say, no, you can't. Who is that child, according to God, who is that child bound to obey? According to God, that child is bound to obey their parents. To do otherwise would be stepping outside of what God has ordained that they should do. And the same goes for us as adults. If a husband and father wants to be a good godly leader in the home, he cannot lead his family in a direction that is con contrary to the teaching of the Lord. He can't lead in a direction that... that is contrary to the authority that God has put in place over him. In the church, leaders need to lead in submission to, to Christ, to the directives of God's word. To do otherwise is to step outside of God's set boundaries for good godly leadership. So good, true, godly leadership 
as well starts with being a good follower of the one who has authority over me and getting self out of the way so that I can serve others like Christ exemplified. So I ask, who are you following? Who is your leader? Who our leader is will determine the outcome of our life. But what's more scary than that is it will determine the outcome of the lives of many people other than just you. It will determine the outcome often of your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth. Just like that watershed illustration, whose leadership we choose to follow today is going to determine our end and the ends of many other people that follow after us. And if we're going to have strong homes and a strong church, we need men and women and children who are willing to submit to the structure that God has put in place and submit to the authority that is over them. And we need men to give up self and to surrender to, the, to leadership over them and to serve as leaders in our homes and in our churches and in the programs of the church. We need men to lead with a vision for the future a vision for the oncoming generations, a vision for the fact that it makes a difference today where we stand so that in 50 or 100 years, we're not a 1,000 miles apart. Also, I believe that because of our propensity towards following someone else, our, our propensity towards seeking someone to follow us, seeking leadership, that where there is a lack of good, godly leadership, people will find a substitute. And a substitute will never give the results that God intends for his people. And our world is full of substitutes today. Our world is full of substitutes for godly leadership. And men, it's your responsibility to provide that leadership that's in line with God's word, in line with his principles for your family and for your church, for where you're called in your church. It's your responsibility. If you don't take it, those that are supposed to be following you are going to find a substitute and the end result will not be good. We need to give leadership that's in line with God's word and his design and not acquiesce to what's popular or what's convenient. If we don't follow God's design for leadership, I'm afraid that we're going to end up like the poem about the horseshoe nail. For lack of a leader, there may be those who miss the kingdom. That's tragic.
how desperately we need men who are dedicated to following God's order of authority and leadership. It's crucial for the good of our families. It's crucial for the well-being and the final end of our church. We need men who are dedicated to submitting to the authorities over them, men who are dedicated to living according to the scriptures and to good biblical church standards, even when it's not the popular thing to do. Even when other so-called leaders are encouraging us to go another way. We need men who will do what Jeremiah called the people to do in Jeremiah 6, 16. He said, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. And the old paths here are, being, are, are the way laid out for us in God's word. The way that the saints that have went before us have tried. The proven way. We need men who will be dedicated to that. But may our response never be what the people that Jeremiah prophesied to, how they responded. <clears throat> the last part of Jeremiah 6, 6 verse 16 says, But they said, We will not walk therein. Consider how sad that is. God sent Jeremiah to prophesy, and he said, go seek out the old paths. Go seek out my ways. And the people said, no, we're going to do it our way. We're going to do it a different way. Also, we would never be like those that Paul said would come. People seeking teachers or leaders who would tell them what they want to hear rather than the truth. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4 from the New King James. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own, their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's the picture of substitute leadership. Rather than that, let's seek out and pursue and promote godly leadership. May our homes and our churches never be in want of godly leadership to lead us in the way that is right. May God bless you.